Just want to share a story with you. We'll start this morning. I've entitled it The Empowered Church. Uh, I'm going to have to apologize. I did have overhead for you, but from I've come in the, the church this morning, I've done nothing but sign forms and read documents that were handed to me, and I didn't really have time to download it. So and I am going to quote quite a lot of scripture. So we're going to look at the Empowered Church, and, and why I wanted to move on to this as we looked at the signs of the times, looking at the last days. <clears throat> and then when you look at them, you, you, some people think it's all doom and gloom. And church, I mean, personally, I have no doubt that unless the Lord intervenes, we're really going to move into bad times ahead. I think our economy is going to move into depression. I think our nation's going to move into a lot of civil unrest. And we really need the Lord. And that's what made me think of, well then, what is it for the Latter-day Church? Is it all doom and gloom? Well, no, it's not, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's no doubt, as I've said, for me from reading Scripture, and Brother Felgen actually gave a very timely word on Wednesday evening. I really enjoyed it. And I would recommend that you go onto the church website and, and listen to our brother uh, speaking about you know, different things that happens in the end times. But again, greater is he that is in us. And God has equipped us. So let, well, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away onto those dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there, there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh together that one and the self same, dividing to every man severally as he will. I want to quote as our text, 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It's given to every man. This is not unique to the oversight of the church or the pastors or any particular branch in the church. It is given to every man. And as we go through this study, I want you to always remember Again, the gifts are given to every man, but they're given to every man to profit from. And that word means to help along the way, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, and to know God's power in your life. It's for our good, and it's for our empowerment that the Lord wants to pour out His Spirit. Now, these gifts can be broken into categories. We've seen there's gifts of inspiration, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And as we looked at this not long ago, we talked about these gifts of inspiration. They are given to inspire. 
The, the, the spirit of prophecy is not the prophetic office. So the spirit of prophecy is given to, to build up the church. Those that minister the, the gift of the spirit, which is prophecy, is to edify you. It's to encourage you. The prophet is the one who will bring the message from God, whether it be a rebuke, whether it be exhortation, but the spirit of prophecy is for inspiration. Then we have the, the gifts of enlightenment, uh, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. These are to bring enlightenment, a word in season to God's people. And the, the discerning of spirits is that whenever you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God helps you to, to discern what you're hearing, to discern those you're hearing it from. Prophecy interpretation of tongues can also bring enlightenment. Uh, interpretation, for me, it's, it's, it's general for the church. It's for edifying the church. It's not for edifying the individual. If someone speaks in a tongue, they, they encourage or edify themselves. But when someone interprets the tongue, they edify the church. And therefore, for me, the, the interpretation should be for the church and not individual. There's gifts of endowment, uh, power gifts, demonstration, there's faith, gifts of healing, and miracles. And so these gifts are given to the latter-day church. You know, church, the Bible is an amazing book. It is an amazing book. You know, I've been reading the Bible 40-odd years now, and I still am learning things as I read it daily. And no other book you will ever read will bring such enlightenment and such encouragement in your lives. It's an amazing book. And within the Bible, it is said that one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And this prophecy that we've got to understand is the Word of God. It's God talking through man or through His Word, revealing His plans for us. And so the Bible, contrary to what some people may say, the Bible is, is not some antiquated book which is not relevant today. It is the inspired Word of God. Amen. I'm going to probably cough the whole way through this. Don't worry, I don't have COVID. <laughs> I have something else. And it's not smittable, by the way. Just, so don't worry if you want to come near me. So the Bible is inspired by God. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my whole counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. So the prophet is telling us that God's word will stand. And he will do his pleasure. We looked last week at something that God won't do. And we looked at how God won't change his mind. And how God won't change his word to suit modern day man. He will do his will. He will have his will. He will do his pleasure. And his word will stand. And the church and the world need to start to understand again that the Lord is omniscient. The omniscience of God means that God knows all things. It's a principle that God is all-knowing, that he encompasses, encompasses sorry, all knowledge of the universe, past, present, and future. You know, church, we serve the creator of the universe. And how futile is our wisdom when we begin to challenge God and God's knowledge? God knows all things. And because God knows all things, we can trust God. 
And when we can trust God, then we can rely that any situation that will come before us or that has happened behind us, that God is going to equip us or God is going to bring us through. We know that in the beginning, God created the world and everything in it, including knowledge. And God knows what his people need. And he supplies all of their needs. Church, I hope you understand that this morning. God knows what his people need. God knows what is going on in the world today. He's not blind that he cannot see. He's not deaf that he cannot hear. And his arm is not short that he cannot reach down and deliver his people. We know exactly what's going on in the world God knows even better than we know what's going on in the world. God knows about the, the, the principalities and powers and high places and, and what they're up to. You read about the, the general that brought all his officers in and wanted to know who the tout was. And they told him, there's no tout, it's a prophet in Israel. And the, the, this general said, he knows my very thoughts in my bedchamber. God knows everything. He knows the plans that these people are making. Uh, this generation, this uh, Gramsci communist, uh, cultural communism. God knows all about this. And he's equipping his church today. And he will supply what we need. He is the one who supplies our needs. Genesis 22, 13 and 14. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham, <clears throat> and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead, in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jarrah, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And we all know that Jehovah-Jarrah means the Lord, our provider. Amen. Better not get too excited this morning or I'm going to lose my voice. I want to bring in here the Abrahamic promise. Because in that we have the promise of the Spirit. You know, we, we kind of tie the Abrahamic promise down to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's more to the promise than, than you, you would just pick up just re- glancing and reading over it. Because that promise was so important to God's people in that Christ redeemed us having become a curse for us. Galatians 3 and 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why? This was that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. God had to come manifest in flesh, had to die on the cross before he could pour out his Spirit upon his people. How could God pour out his Spirit into unclean vessels? How could the Spirit of God fall upon those vessels which were still stained with sin? Jesus had to die on the cross. To die on the cross to cleanse us from our sins and make us ready and make us acceptable for the fulfillment of this promise. What a wonderful God we serve. Galatians 3 and 14 tells us this. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And listen... That we, might receive, <clears throat> that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed, again, listen, church, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase uh, possession unto the praise of his glory. And then obviously that very famous verse in Acts 2, 30 39. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Again, listen to this word again, for the promise. This is the promise of God. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise of God. This was something that God promised his people. And you know, we've said this several times. I can promise you that I'm going to do something or try and do something, but really depends on my abilities and the limits that are on my abilities. But when God promises something, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. And Scripture's full of reminding us. There's many verses which speak of this promise. And it's said about this promise that it is to be poured out in the last days. You can go back into the Old Testament, Joel 2, uh, 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon their servants and upon the handmaids. In those days I will pour out my spirit. We all know that last days is a term used in Scripture to cover the period between the two advents of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are only two, there's not three. He's not coming back to go away again to come back. He's coming back to rule and to reign. And it can be seen, brothers and sisters, we looked at it in our last study on signs of the times, that we are in the last days. There's any amount of biblical proof. God, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time pass unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son who may appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Peter, in our, as we read earlier, he's informing the crowd when he, as he stood in the steps in Jerusalem that we are nigh in these last days and that the scriptures have been fulfilled. If you read Acts 2, 16 and 17, it says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And again, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. So we see the fulfillment on the day of Pentecost of this promise from God. This promise from God, which is equipping his church for the, for the battles that lay ahead. John states that the coming of the Holy Spirit was at hand when he seen Jesus. Matthew 3 and 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he revealed to us who this baptizer would be of the Holy Ghost, and it is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh. But I want to notice something also that John said about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. He added, and with fire. He added, and with fire. Why did he put that on? Well, Malachi 3 and 2 says, Who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and full of soap. 
You know, you can read, read several commentaries uh, on that verse and on that word fire. Some believe that it speaks of judgment. And I believe it means the true convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Because you see, as we see in Malachi 3 and 2, fire is used to refine gold and to cleanse. Think of the fact that John was baptizing in the Jordan River, for example. The Jordan River is noted as a place of cleansing. If you remember Nahum, the, the captain of the Syrian, uh, host of the king of Syria, he'd caught leprosy. And he came to see Elisha. And Elisha told him to go and wash himself seven times in the Jordan. And he did eventually, and he was healed. I believe the Holy Ghost not only empowers God's people, but it cleanses us as pure gold is refined in the fire. You know, the Holy Ghost conviction comes upon you. And it it helps you to look at yourself, to, to clear off the dross in your life and live for God. And only God's Spirit in you can do that. Uh, you know, it can, as some said, they, they, they see it as a, a judgment. Well, it can be a judgment in, in the sense that it shows us where we're, why we're not close to God. It, it helps us. It refines us that we might be good vessels, that he might be able to use us for his honor and for his glory. Uh, Barnes and Barnes notes, he said, to be baptized with the Holy Ghost means that the Messiah would send upon the world a far more powerful and mighty influence than had attended the preaching of John. Many more would be converted. A mighty change would take place. His ministry would not uh, affect the external life only, but the heart, the motives, the soul, and would produce rapid and permanent changes in the lives of men. And that's what I believe the fire is for. That convicting, refining fire, when it comes into a man or woman's life, it draws them closer to God, and God blesses them. When you are truly, truly filled with the Holy Ghost and His cleansing uh, and His love, His cleansing power will change your life. You see, we you know we we tend to not quote it too much and read over where Jesus comes back and some will come to him and say, hold on, Lord. I spoke with tongues. I prophesied. Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they weren't cleansed with the Holy Ghost. You know, we need a cleansing in our lives, each and every one of us. And it's a convicting power of the Holy Ghost. And when you think of what uh, Barnes said, when, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, he says, many more would be converted. You know, we can sit and we can think, what can we do to see men getting saved? What plans can we make? The plans are in the Bible, church. It's the Holy Ghost which convicts men of their sin. A mighty change would take place. What, change, what mighty change can take place in men's lives when the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon them? There's, countless testimonies, just listening to one recently of a, of a drug addict, and when did he change? It was nothing to do with any pastor preaching. It was nothing to do with even some friend telling him he needs Jesus. He just felt God talking to him, and he felt God telling him to turn to him. He knew in his heart, he began to realize that he needed a, a better way of life, and he turned to God. That's the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. A mighty change will take place. You know, the Holy Ghost in your life, it'll not just affect your external life. It will go to the heart. 
your motives, the soul, and, would, and listen to this, would produce rapid and permanent changes in the lives of men. You know, church, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it's then that the world will see the old man going. And he will not see the old man, but they'll see the new man in Christ. The world will tell you and others that you are this and you are that. But God will call you his child, his chosen, his redeemed, and his vassal when you're filled with his spirit. Don't worry about how the world sees you, church. Worry about how God sees you. And the question is, have you, been, have you repented? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? And are you filled with the empowering, cleansing power of the Holy Ghost? Let's go back to how the promise was revealed by the risen Lord. We go back to Acts 1. <clears throat> And four, it says, being assembled together with them, commanded them, okay, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So this is Jesus with the disciples after his uh, resurrection, before his ascension, talking to them, and he gives them a command. And you know, church, we are no different today. I believe Jesus is commanding us to wait on the Holy Ghost in our lives. You see, these, these disciples and others with them, they were in the upper chamber, 120 of them in this upper chamber. And the thing to note about them was they were alone. They were alone. After all had went on and the threats and even their minds, you know, the mind's a terrible thing. And they were probably thinking to themselves, they're planning to come and get us. And what will happen if we go out? They, they know we were followers of Jesus. All these negative thoughts, which we can blame Satan on, but the truth and reality is, most of the times it's ourselves. So they were alone. <coughs> they were afraid. And they were, as they thought, defeated. They were alone, afraid, and defeated. But you know something? When the Holy Ghost fell on them, they were on fire. They were on fire. They were bold. They were strong. Church, they were uncompromising. Peter, who three times denied the Lord, stood in the steps of Jerusalem in front of hundreds if not thousands and preached the gospel with boldness. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Before that, he couldn't have done it. He was a fisherman, not eloquent of speech. Maybe put his mouth in gear before he switched his brain on sometimes. But here he is, filled with the Holy Ghost, preaching boldness, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were strong. They were strong. They refused to, to, to give in. We know as we, we read it down through the, the New Testament how they were brought before councils and judges. They were beaten and told not to preach Jesus, but they went out and they preached Jesus. The apostle Paul was stoned left for dead. He got up and he went back into the same village and preached Jesus. They were strong. They were uncompromising. They wouldn't, you know, the reality church today is we need to be uncompromising. We need to be uncompromising. Do you know something? They hated Jesus. Do you know why they hated Jesus? Because he was uncompromising. He told them the truth. He told them religion 
is, won't bring you into the kingdom of God. He told them that they were sinners, those that were living adulterous lives. He didn't tell them, don't worry about it. You're a, you're a man and God understands. He said, you're a sinner. And as I said the other week, look in the Bible, who did Jesus condemn? He didn't condemn the sinners. He condemned the religious people of the day, didn't he? There's uncompromising. Today, church, we need to be uncompromising because there these new negative labels which come out every day. We're radical. Their definition of radical. Any preacher which preaches the word of God and uncompromising, the world's going to put the negative label on them. Oh, he's a radical. Oh, don't listen to him. Trying to, 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 to get us to, to water down our message. And sadly, church, and I say this with great regret, there are many churches who have watered down the gospel because they don't want to offend people today. But you know, when you preach from the gospel and people get offended, you need to remind them it's not me it's offending you. It's the word of God because that's what we're preaching. They preach the gospel with power from on high. And they were hated for it. And church, the reality is we're going to be hated for it. But we've got to stand. We've got to be uncompromising. And I want to tell you, I can't, and I know you can't with respect, stand on our own. We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us. As I said, when the Holy Ghost fell on them, they were on fire. And you know, just like today, they mocked them. Acts 2 and 13 said, Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. People like to mock, don't they? Like to mock the truth. I heard a wee story, and Jane's going, don't, don't, don't. Two men were in a forest, and a wee bird walked out in front of them, and one of them said, what kind of bird's that? And a wee bird looked up at him and said, what kind of bird's that? And his mate said, that's a mockingbird. Come on, for goodness sake. Oh, Lord, I'm wasted in here, church. I really am. <laughs> they mocked them. They said they're drunk. They're full of wine. I've heard us referred to as idiots, as happy clappies, morons, <laughs> because someone has seen us ministering in the Spirit. Someone has heard us talking in tongues. Oh, it's a load of our gibberish. Watched a, 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 a guy preach and just leave this one with God. He actually reckoned it was demons. It wasn't the spirit of God that fell in men when they started speaking in tongues. They'll mock you, church. But we need the spirit today. We need a hunger for the spirit today. And that's when God's going to move and that's when God's going to save and that's when God's going to change lives and that's when God's going to deliver people from addictions. That's when God's going to deliver people who have done wrong in their life and going to bring them back into the kingdom of God. Church, the gifts of the Spirit, they are an after salvation experience. And sadly today, many are robbed of this experience by teachers saying, no, it's not for today. It wasn't for a limited time. It wasn't given to the church that, uh, that because they were a new church and they just needed a little boost to get off the ground. It's for you and me today. We face as much persecution today as they face, although thankfully in Northern Ireland we're not getting uh, murdered for our faith. But there's still the mocking, there's still the criticisms, there's still the trying to quench what we're saying and still the negative labels that they try and put on us. 
You know, the example I'll give you was a pastor, his name Rusty Thomas, and the media over here went mad on him. He's a radical, he's a radical. Do you know why he's a radical? Because he stands for the word of God. Gene and I spent time talking to the guy. He loves the Lord with all his heart. He loves God's word, and he loves the unsaved. And he's not afraid to stand up and say it. That makes him a radical. Well, church, I want to be radical then. If I have to stand and claim the word of God and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. You see, church, for me, there's a lack of importance in a lot of people today as to the gifts of the Spirit. But it was so important that when one of the apostles went to a new church, they wanted to, uh, wanted to meet the new converts, for example. A new church had been established and was always Peter or Paul or John or one of them would have went. What's the first thing they asked them, church? I've said this before, so you should remember. Acts 19 and 2, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That was the question he asked as he walked through the door. They might have been rejoicing, this is great, and we're increasing numbers, wonderful, wonderful, great to see it. Hold on, but have you received the Holy Ghost? That's the importance. See, the New Testament church knew, and today we know that God keeps his promises. And the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is the fulfillment of the Father's promise to his people in these last days. Church, we serve a God who wants to empower us, who wants us to be successful, who wants us to grow. And we're, as it were, standing with a spiritual umbrella. Oh, don't pour the latter rain on me, Lord. We need to be open to the move of God. We serve a faithful God, a faithful God who knows exactly what we're going through, who knows exactly what our enemies are up to. And therefore, he equips us for the battle. I mean, you look at the reports you're reading about the Russian soldiers, and they went into Ukraine, and the Ukrainians just chased them back into Russia at first, some of them. Why? Because they were poorly equipped for the battle. Now, they have all these rockets and all, and they seem to be progressing now. But when they first went in, it is said they lost hundreds of men because they were poorly equipped for the battle. They underestimated their enemy. Church, we underestimate our enemy. The devil is busy. The devil is destroying men's lives. The devil wants to destroy the lives of your children. The devil wants to destroy the lives of your grandchildren. And church, we are a, a, a bit like the church that was asleep. When they got the wheat and the tares, how did the tares grow up amongst the wheat, Lord? He says, while the laborers were asleep. The devil has been busy. And it's time to awake, O Israel, and call upon the name of the Lord and receive empowerment from on high. How does the world and the devil know that we are the church of the living God? What way would you answer that? Well, I'm here every Sunday. Well, that's commendable, particularly in this day and age when people seem to not care if they make it to the house of the Lord at the, uh, on the Lord's day. But that's not it. Certainly it is, as Jesus said, by your love, men shall know you're my disciples. But you know, there's another more important, not more important, love's very important, but in the same level, there's something else which is important. 
Romans 8 and verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness. The Spirit in us is a witness that we are the children of God. If we're not full of the, the, the Holy Ghost, we're not a threat to Satan. We're not a threat to the works of the devil. But Satan knows when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. He knows which church that he can't mess with. He'll try. He'll try. But we are filled. We have been equipped. We have been given the armor of God. And all we need to do is receive it, church. Each and every one of us. You know, speaking to people about the gifts of the Spirit and you know, I'm not one for speaking out in church and I'm not, you know, God knows who you are and not everyone can speak out in church. God doesn't expect everyone to speak out and, and start speaking out in tongues. In a sense, it can be a ministry like prayer. People can pray out loud. Other people can't, but they can still pray. And you can still speak in tongues in your private life. And you know something that helps you pray because there's times when you don't know what to pray. But when you pray in a tongue, you just get that release and God begins to speak to you. Church, if only you would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If only you would receive the empowerment from Almighty God. Because when we do, then we are going to see an earthquake of people coming to know the Lord. I agree with Felgate, there's going to be a falling away. And a lot of people today, they just want their ears tickled. They don't want to hear good sound doctrine. I know that. But when the Holy Ghost comes, he can turn their hearts around. He can change men's lives. He can create a hunger for God, a hunger for God's house, and a hunger for God's word, a hunger for God's people, a hunger for the unsaved. Why? By his power and spirit working in us. How do we receive it? Well, we'll look at that next week. Amen. As the praise team comes.